Do you think your dog might benefit from a little extra fitness? Maybe you want to tighten those left turns in agility or tighten their box turn in flyball. Or maybe they're just a bit clumsy and you need a little more body awareness. Welcome to the Canine Fitness Fanatics podcast with your host, Hannah Johnson. Join us as we talk dog fitness and other areas of canine health too. Our mission is to help condition dogs to reduce the risk of injury and increase longevity, whether that's in sporting dogs, working dogs or pet dogs. All dogs can benefit from a little extra fitness. Hey fitness fanatics, we are back again with another um, Q&A with Charlie. Hello Charlie. Hello again. Um, so we've got some more questions to get through. And uh, Did you want to jump in again straight away and start with the first question? Alright, so first one is what is your response to people who say I've had dogs all my life and not one has needed conditioning? Okay, yeah, that's a really interesting one because obviously we get a fair few of those. Um, So quite often I will say that these people, they may have just been lucky and actually have been that lucky and their dog has never had an injury even though they've been working or doing sports, etc. However, the other way to look at it, because I actually have seen people with these dogs and I've seen them at shows and things like that, and quite often I look at the dog and think, actually there's quite a few things that I can see straight away that maybe are a bit of a red flag for me in the dog, in the way that they're moving and in their posture. So is it potentially an owner's, in the nicest sense, the lack of gait and posture analysis knowledge? Um, Because actually, if you don't know what you're looking for, maybe you've looked at something your entire life and you just kind of, your brain kind of gets used to it and thinks that's just how it's supposed to happen actually a lot of the time that's not necessarily the case um so sometimes it can be that lack of awareness of actually how a dog should move and what is correct for how a dog should move um so dogs might have been injured these dogs might have been injured um but actually it's never been picked up on so subtle signs a lot of high drive dogs um they're really good at masking these things they're really really good at masking these things because they just want to keep going and they just want to keep working so actually it can be sometimes harder to pick up on the fact that they have got an injury um and then obviously that injury's happened it doesn't get treated that injury can keep happening again um it'll just keep happening until actually maybe something's done about it or it might just be subtle signs each time but actually the more times that happens the more likely it's going to be that that dog's going to end up with a shorter career. Um, And actually it's going to wait until it escalates to the point of needing, maybe even needing surgery before something is actually done about it. And I've seen a fair few of those cases in my time as well. Um, I have actually seen that happen. Um, And people, again, with these working, it's particularly I find in working in sporting dogs more so um, than in pet dogs but it does happen in pet dogs as well but obviously then hindsight's a wonderful thing as they all say and they wish that obviously they'd done something sooner so I would like to say to anybody that's listening and you've you've maybe thought that itself um, again not in a horrible way at all but just consider that maybe it might be that you're not picking up on something um, and actually there is maybe something there and it's always worth finding out Okay. Um, 
and then again some dogs they might be fine without conditioning um and they might get away with it and might may never have an injury and that's great but actually could they thrive with it so rather than just being fine could they thrive um so I mean, think about human athletes and their bodies. Um, they they condition their bodies for their sports for better performance. So why can't we do the same for our dogs? I mean, I don't know of a top level athlete that doesn't do conditioning, and nobody argues with that. So why isn't the same for our dogs? Because actually, if you put somebody up that had, like, let's say they had natural talent, so to speak, against somebody that had spent like all their time doing conditioning. Who's going to be the one to win? It's way more likely to be the person that has done the conditioning um, that is actually going to win. Okay. Um, the other thing is to me, when we're saying about some dogs might get away with it and be absolutely fine, it's still, the other thing is it's still a bonus to give them something different to do anyway. And again, particularly if you've got a high drive dog, giving them something different to do, giving them something that's a bit novel um, particularly like again in working dogs or sporting dogs where it's a little bit more seasonal the things that they do in their seasons off it gives you something to actually occupy them with because again I've got a few gun dog clients that um, when they first came to me they were like their dogs could be stir crazy out of season because they've not got as much work to be able to do um, and then actually that they're a lot calmer when they start doing these kind of bits of work with us which is really cool. So next one is one of the outside really hard about um starting conditioning um is exhaustion normal when starting out so should, should it be feared or is it expected for people to go into that exhaustion zone to find out the dog's limits or really is yeah. it what's the stuff about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so i guess exhaustion and tiredness i always think of exhaustion as a word itself to maybe be a little bit more extreme um so it's normal for dogs to be tired after conditioning um, obviously that's one of the reasons that we love it so let's think let's first talk about the overload theory so the overload principle is a big part of fitness and uh, basically um, you have to increase the intensity the duration sets reps etc of an exercise progressively in order to actually see improvements in their strength stamina posture etc whatever it is you're looking to improve so the key thing to note here is that initially you will likely see fairly fast improvements, especially when they have a lot to work on. And then as they get better, obviously we don't want them to plateau. So actually you have to do more to change up the workout to make sure this doesn't happen and they continue to improve. But when you do think about this principle, you never want to take it too far and allow the dog to become too tired. So there is there's a balance with it. There's a level with it. So, yes, it's normal for them to become tired using the word exhaustion. I would never want them to become exhausted. Um, OK, so like obviously we're, we're thinking about things like their form. Obviously, if they were to get to the point of exhaustion, they'd be um, if you take them past that point. Like we always stop when they start to lose their, their really good form because that says to us that actually the muscles are too tired to hold them in that correct form anymore. Therefore, we're pushing them past that their current capacity. OK, um, so, yeah, I would say exhaustion. No, we never want exhaustion, but tiredness is normal and tiredness, not just when starting out like I do like, obviously, with my dogs, I do push them to a point where, yes, their muscles are a little bit tired because we need to push them to the sort of past their current ability to be able to actually make them um, improve. But it's knowing 
where that sort of level and that balance is and you never want to push them too far that's quite interesting because i always grouped exhaustion and tiredness together as sort of a, like a similar thing so that's quite an interesting perspective on how tiredness is sort of like less severe yeah so fatigue is the state of um i guess the state of physical and mental weakness um, and when we say fatigue, that's kind of relating to tiredness, whereas exhaustion is extreme tiredness and loss of strength. Okay. So should we move on to the next one? Yeah, can do. So how do people prevent injury or exhaustion whilst they're conditioning with their dogs? Yeah, okay, great question to follow that one up with. So um, monitoring forms, obviously I mentioned that before. This is one of the big things. So monitoring their form... Um, we want to know what good form is in each of the exercises. So whenever you start doing a new exercise, you need to know exactly what areas of form you're looking for. So how should each area of the body look? How should the front legs look? How should their top line look? Where should their head be? What should their back legs look like? We need to know the correct form for every single exercise that we're doing. And then we're monitoring that form throughout their workouts and we don't want them we don't want to push them past the point of their form deteriorating so when you start to notice their form starts to deteriorate that's when we say okay yes they're getting tired we've hit their limit that's fine and we stop them there okay um yeah you want to be listening to your dog really carefully watching them really closely and know those signs of tiredness as well so obviously we've got we've already mentioned losing form that's a really big one for us but think about other things because there are other ways in which your dogs might prevent uh, present tiredness so their muscles might kind of be okay but other areas or elements of their fitness might not quite be up to the level so things like panting harder um do when we say when we say panting harder as well do think about the tongue length and shape so actually when they start to become more exhausted obviously it gets longer and it starts to become more spade shaped um more distracted is another one as well so they may become more distracted as they uh start to get sort of it's normally more mentally tired but that can be another sign of physical tiredness as well um, less willing to participate in the conditioning, displacement behaviours like sniffing, etc. I know when B is tired, when I'm doing conditioning or when I'm doing agility, her nose goes on the ground when she's starting to get tired. That's one of her kind of like displacement behaviours. Um, and another one is offering other behaviors as well like other behaviors that they might know because actually that current exercise is too hard so saying this is too hard maybe i can offer you this instead to try and get the food because obviously normally they're trying to get the food off you um so that they try something else because physically they're not sort of capable to actually carry on with that current exercise um another key thing for me here as well is make sure that you're not doing any other strenuous activity on that day so the day that you do conditioning don't do any other strenuous activity um you may need more than 48 hours off if they are more unfit so that's something where you've got to monitor your own dogs obviously we recommend 48 hours between those fitness sessions um but actually you might find that they need more time than that off initially when they're more unfit. And you'll probably find as they get fitter that you can, um, 
you can do them a little bit more frequently but like i've got some dogs that two two sessions a week is their their sort of capacity at the moment because it's sort of a bit too much for them or and also considering their lifestyles and what they do do you do longer walks with them do you do a lot of training with them because then obviously you don't want to go try and squeezing in three sessions if you're doing agility training also three times a week or four times a week because you're going to make them like too exhausted what are some myths regarding conditioning that you've debunked or found online? Oh, this is an interesting one. Okay, so I've got a few here. Um, so one of the first ones that we see, and I do see people say as well, is that conditioning doesn't work without balance equipment. Um, I'd like to just sort of say straight away that you guys know how passionate I am about making sure that the groundwork is correct and there is so much you can do with groundwork with no balance equipment or even some like obviously solid pieces of equipment you don't have to have balance equipment to be able to do conditioning and to be able to do it successfully there are lots of ways in which you can change the intensity of their exercises without actually using that balance equipment um I mean we've I've got some dogs that are scared of balance equipment like the two that I've got, one of them had a bad experience where human equipment was used and it burst. And actually this dog is too scared to get back on balance equipment at the moment. It's not to say that necessarily they in the future, they wouldn't be able to, but right now they are too scared. Um, so actually we work on where well, we worked for quite a long time, literally just on flat ground. Um, and then we've started bringing in some solid equipment, which um, he's comfortable with. So working on that solid equipment with him um, and he's progressed loads just using that solid equipment, not using any balance equipment. So that's straight away to me says that what's to say who says that it doesn't work without any balance equipment. Another one that I've got here is my dog is too old to start conditioning um again another one i would like to debunk because i've got some dogs that are quite old that have started with me um and they have sort of done so very successfully absolutely so providing that they've not got any underlying conditions that need rehab like if they've got arthritis um if they've got hip dysplasia elbow dysplasia they've had an injury like a cruciate ligament rupture etc um, providing that they've not older dogs haven't had anything like that happen to them we need to make sure that they've completed a rehabilitation plan first in that case um, you I know you guys probably hear me say this all the time but I always say this they have to have completed their rehab plan first before they can start working with us but if their physio agrees then absolutely they could then start um, working with us afterwards but for the dogs that haven't got anything wrong with them um so to speak then then they're never too old to actually start doing conditioning work it's never too late to start with them you can always help them by doing some conditioning with them um, and then this next one that i've got here obviously i've slightly touched on this is it's fine to use human equipment so again that's another one that i see in some of the groups on facebook and things like that I would, as you, I've given you an example already, I would highly recommend that you do not. And that is not the first case. I know of, I know of, or have heard of quite a lot of dogs now that have become scared of the um, balance equipment because it's burst um, by using human equipment. So the, one of the big reasons that we obviously encourage you to use balance equipment 
is that actually the material that it's made from is um so on human equipment i think that these are numbers that I've, I've sort of pulling out my head a little bit but i know it was roughly around this so i think that human equipment is around two millimeters um thickness for what they actually use to make it and then for the dogs i think it's about five millimeters so it's a big difference to actually make it burst resistant so that's why all of the products that we stock we will only ever stock fitness products that have got the thicker material to try to make sure that they are um, as burst resistant as they can possibly be obviously anything that's inflatable like it could but but these guys that like um fit pause and flexiness they um they do everything they can to make sure that equipment the material is nice and thick that they're using to make sure that it is as safe um as it can possibly be for the dogs when they're working on it so definitely a big no and the other thing is with human equipment it's shaped to be suitable for humans and we are not built the same we're absolutely not built the same dogs are built differently to us um, is another thing to take into account as well so that's the three that i've kind of pulled off that are the ones that i hear the most and get asked the most charlie have you heard any whilst you've been kind of like in the groups or going around the internet looking at conditioning stuff I've definitely heard the human one before um as well like you've said it's not redesigned really for dogs if it's designed for humans and the dog one is a lot better like with proprioception and the shape of it as well it's a lot better for them yeah it's top of my head i think one of the things i hear is people not really doing warm-ups before doing like really heavy activities like weight pulling and um basically sprinting off and it's sort of reinforced through like all the Facebook groups that it's normal to do. And it's how you get like a fit dog. But there's so much more than that. It's more all about the um, building them up to it and doing the stretches as well. Oh, okay. So they're not like they're saying that it's fine to do a, a strenuous activity without a warm up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, you guys can listen to my full uh, podcast on warm ups for sort of more in depth into why. Um, but I don't believe that it's safe to be doing anything without that warm-up personally um yes they can be fine for so many times but um there are reasons that we do warm-ups and i know a lot of dogs that have been injured and they're injured within that kind of like first five to ten minutes of exercise where they've maybe been one of the key one of the ones we got a lot was they're literally they're in the back of the car they're let out the back of the car and immediately off lead immediately running around no chance to actually warm the muscles up they are moving straight away from cold and that is where a lot of these um issues happened was in that first five to ten minutes without the muscles being warmed up so you do leave them more open to injury is one of the big points there are other ones um and like i said you can go to that podcast and give that a listen if you're more interested in learning a bit more about warm-ups but yeah no i would completely disagree with that you need to make sure that you're warming them up before strenuous activity and also when you're doing your conditioning work so don't just jump straight into your conditioning work you want to make sure that they've had their warm-up first their muscles are warm and ready cool okay um so if anybody has any more myths and things like that that they'd like answered obviously you can send them in at any point to me and we can talk about them um next question for us please charlie so next one sort of links in but what are some like the red flags online and in person that you see regarding conditioning so human equipment being one of them probably Do you have any others yeah um okay so red flags that i see is people not looking out for dogs form 
Um, so they're more concerned about the fact that they've actually completed the exercise and they've just looked at the start from like the start and then the end goal and not necessarily thought about how the dog has actually completed the activity. Um, so a good example of this one is um, pivoting. I see a lot of dogs doing pivoting. I see a lot of them doing it online. Um, but actually, a lot of the time you'll see they really bunch themselves up. They tuck their back legs under themselves. They really arch their back. They lose their form. They're putting a lot of pressure on their back when they're doing this. They're not using their core muscles properly. And quite often they can shuffle quite a lot with their back um, legs. So they're not actually using their hip abductors and adductors properly. Um, so not looking out for that dog's form. Now, allowing them to continue to do that, the more that they do it with incorrect form, the more they're actually going to strengthen those compensatory techniques. So you're not actually strengthening them correctly. If anything, you're potentially leaving them more open to injury by ma not making sure that they're doing it with that correct form. Another one for me is using aversive methods when we're doing... Um, any kind of conditioning work. So for me, when it comes to conditioning work, they have absolutely no place, any kind of aversive methods. We want the dog to be engaged with us, wanting to do the activity, not thinking about aversive methods. Um, the main time I see them used is normally when dogs are not calm enough. So the dog's not necessarily calm enough. So they use the aversive methods to try and get them to behave in a calmer manner. However, I've I mean, I've seen dogs be completely shut down by this. Um, and whilst we're doing it, we really don't want to do this when we're doing conditioning. We need the body to be relaxed when we're doing conditioning. We don't want the body to be really like sort of tense. And um, I mean, I know, I know, obviously, again, we're humanizing dogs, but this is another similar one. When you get nervous, you get tense and your body tenses up. And imagine if somebody asked you to do an exercise, if you were a bit more nervous, um, and you're actually tense, you're not going to necessarily be using your body correctly. If anything, you're actually potentially going to be overusing areas of your body and then again, potentially leaving them open to injury. So that's another really important one for me. I want the dog to be engaged. I want them to do it because they want to do it and I want them to enjoy what they're doing um, with us. Absolutely. So no, I mean, there used to be slightly more aversive methods used even when doing physiotherapy or a lack of choice for the dog. So actually they were just put in these positions and they were sort of made to do these exercises or you've got the, um, you had the therapist kind of moving the dogs to make them do the exercise. Obviously with some things, this is still kind of happens, but when it comes to the active exercises, most of um, the physios that I know and talk to now, we actually want it to be the dog's choice because when it's their choice, they tend to actually use their body much better um, and get better muscle activation as well. And the other thing for me, another red flag is pushing dogs past their limits. So going back to that exhaustion thing again, um, actually pushing dogs past their limits and then them being sort of left open to injury basically so we have i do know of dogs that have been injured by being pushed past that point whilst doing conditioning um so absolutely making sure we're not pushing them past that point of um over exhaustion um cool charlie have you kind of said anything whilst you've been going around looking in the, I, th I feel like i've been very much in the positive world of it in the time that I've been here. So I don't know if you've seen anything as well that has kind of like been a bit of a red flag for you. Yeah, with like the aversives. Um, 
quite a few trainers that in like the names of confidence building will put dogs on like obstacle courses and make them go across use like children's play parks and that sort of stuff. And it's a bit that's a bit risky because it's not designed for dogs and there's chance of them slipping and then getting corrected for slipping and it's not really the sort of way to build confidence in a dog. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I would never correct a dog for like coming off a piece of equipment. If they're not comfortable with that piece of equipment, they need to be allowed to come off it. And we need to look for a way to build their confidence so that they become confident enough to go on it, not by for like forcing them to go on. It. It's not going to make them comfortable. Take as an example, I am terrified of spiders. Absolutely. Like if there is a small spider in the room, I am gone and I am crying and I am squealing for Carl to come and save me. <laughs> Same if you force me to hold that spider, all that's going to do is make me hate you. <laughs> like it's never, it's never worked. I've tried it. I've been forced to try it and it just makes me dislike the person. Um, and actually like people doing things like then placing the spider I've had people put spiders on me and I don't want to be near and around those people those people are actually no longer my friends <laughs> um, but like that's by that's by my choice so that's another way that I look at it I guess it's from that again it's a bit more of a human perspective but I don't like that I really don't like the thought of pushing them into something that makes them anxious actually what you want to do is build their confidence um to with uh, like to a point where they become comfortable enough to actually deal with the situation oh yeah absolutely cool did you want to jump on to the next question yep so for a pet dog with no issues what would their conditioning lifespan sort of look like oh i feel like this is going to be a long answer <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll try not to make it too long but obviously it depends on what age they're starting out um, as to what their conditioning lifespan is going to look like. However, let's just say, for argument's sake, we've got a puppy. Um, you've got a puppy and you want to come and start, like, and we'll take them from sort of the start all the way through. So with a puppy, we're thinking a lot about their proprioceptive work. So we're going to be doing exercises like Cavaletti, different exercises within the Cavaletti. So there's quite a lot you can do with them. Proprioceptive tracks. So actually creating proprioceptive tracks for them to work along to get um, that proprioceptive feedback loop kind of speeding up, um, working more efficiently. And poor targeting. I love poor targeting um, for proprioceptive work as well. And I do teach this to my puppies quite um, young. So they'll start learning their individual paws and they'll learn um, their two front paws together and their two back paws together. Um, so that's some of the proprioceptive work we can do. Then we can do skills work. So skills, I like to think of these as the kind of foundations that we're going to use for when we start strength um, and balance stuff. So bearing in mind that we don't do strength and balance. So we don't do static balance with them. Um, as puppies, we don't actively work on those things. So obviously they're going to develop over time anyway, but we're from a conditioning point of view, we don't actively work on them, but we can work on the skills that we're going to use. So sit down, stand, they're really important and getting their posture kind of better within those um, uh, positions. Then we can work on some of the transitions that they're doing like down to stand. Um, we can think about teaching them a little bit of pivoting, um, learning 
different other different positions as well like front paws on back paws on etc all really important um to help us out it just means that as well when they can start doing their strength and balance work they really know all these skills that makes it a lot easier to start putting those plans into place then we do work a little bit on their dynamic balance so things like moving over equipment both solid and balance and building up to obstacle courses so i start i do start off with just like one piece of equipment and then i'll gradually like, i'll add in a second piece when they're com- comfortable and confident and then i'll add in a third piece um navi took like for example my current puppy navi she's now nearly eight months old um but she was less confident than my last puppy b the spaniel so navi's collie um b spaniel and then B was really confident I was able to actually put in quite a lot of pieces into the obstacle course really quite quickly because she was super confident whereas Navi was a lot less confident so it would taken longer to build her up to a bigger course so it's things like that you've really got to take into account um other things for a puppy that are really important for conditioning stillness and calmness so yes okay it's not fitness but it's really important that we have those skills to help us out with the conditioning so working on that stillness working on that calmness working on being able to settle um handling is really important as well for from conditioning so you can do it without handling like you can do it without handling at all in some sense obviously you need to be able to lure them um but you can do it well for the way that we work you need to be able to lure them um but actually when i mean like moving um paws and things around and things like that I like to work on that with the puppies because, again, it's really it, make, it just makes life easier. You can do it without, but it does make life easier if they're comfortable with it. Um, frustration, learning how to deal with frustration um, and improving their tolerance to frustration, because that's something that does come up a lot with all dogs that start with us is just be, becoming a bit frustrated um and a lot of that becomes can come from the needing to be still and calm so working on that frustration uh depending on um what they're going to do when they're older actually i like to think with puppies about introducing a physio to them um, and also introducing hydrotherapy to them so hydrotherapy regardless i always like to introduce to them you never know if they're going to need it when they're older obviously a lot of dogs get arthritis as they get older um so it's really beneficial for them to actually meet these professionals whilst they are younger. It's really good because it gets somebody else handling them and things as well. But if they ever need hydro or physio, etc., for any reason, they're already comfortable with that person or in that environment. Um, so getting them used to it whilst they're not uncomfortable, because obviously a lot of the time they start needing hydro and physio because they're maybe in pain for some reason. So it makes it a lot harder to introduce something to them at that point so actually introducing it to them whilst they're not in pain is really important because it just makes the process easier um and all the while like whilst you're doing this you want to be improving their cognitive abilities and their mental fitness which is going to happen whilst you're doing all of these bits of conditioning work so then we start um, moving on to an adult so as their growth plates fully fused we can do more with them Um, we can start doing more static balance work So we can definitely start doing that. So working on the balance equipment, standing still on those bits of balance equipment. Um, Strength. So strength exercises, those skills that we learnt can be now turned into those strength and balance exercises. Uh, Training muscles specifically for strength, power or stamina. We can start doing that now. So changing the plans that we start um, 
training specifically for strength, power or stamina. Then flexibility is really important as well, making sure that we keep on top of that flexibility, keep it good, um, either improve it or maintain it depending on what level they're at. And then uh, we're still always working on proprioception. That's very important. We always want to keep working on that proprioception and coordination, even more so if you've got a sporting or working dog. That's so important. Um, I mean, all of these things are, but definitely um, for these dogs. Cool. And then in senior stages, so when they do start to get older, um, I think senior dogs classed as roughly seven years and older. So we want to continue working as they would as an adult if they've done all of this before until we start to obviously see them deteriorate and then we need to alter things. However, we do find that actually the dogs that have done this, like when they when they're younger, that actually is going to take them longer to start to deteriorate. However, if you're starting out with a dog as a senior, um, we want to introduce and increase everything much more gradually. So we do introduce and increase things more gradually with a senior dog. Obviously, strength is really important for these dogs. Um, So strength exercises with them and then proprioception and flexibility. Now, these can be overlooked, but they are so important keeping their proprioception because they det- it does deteriorate with age and so does their flexibility so it's really important that we keep those two things there and obviously that mental fitness keeping that mental fitness good to so make sure that you keep introducing new things as well to keep the brain active so actually if you're when you're doing the conditioning work with them bringing in conditioning exercises that they've not done for a while or have never done before is really good for their brain as well as their body absolutely So that's kind of like conditioning lifespan, the things that we're going to be looking at um, at the different stages. I hope it didn't make that too long. (laughs) No, you're on to bed then. (laughs) (laughs) So last last one is what should people do today if they wanted to get started in conditioning their dogs? Oh, yes. Good question. So um, obviously you can look at online courses for owners. That is something you can do. I would never recommend just going on the Facebook groups alone and working from them alone. Um, I would always recommend looking at online courses for owners that are obviously written by people that are qualified or in a suitable place to be able to uh, put these courses together for you. Um, So You can then also look at taking some more professional courses if you want more knowledge. Um, A lot of the online courses I found that are specifically aimed at owners, some of them do include some theory, which is really good. Some of them include a bit more theory, um, but some of the other ones don't include any theory at all so be being aware of that when you're actually looking at those courses i always it's good to me it's good to have a level of knowledge of um theory if you're going to particularly if you're going to be doing this on your own you need a, a, a knowledge of the theory um you can take more professional courses if you want more knowledge on that theory So a lot of professional courses, like I actually know quite a lot of pet dog owners that have done more professional courses, literally just for their own dogs, for their own knowledge, for their own dogs. If you are less concerned about the theory, but just want to get your dog fit, that's where I would think about group classes and one-to-one sessions, either in person or online. 
So making sure that you've actually got a professional working with you. If you're not going to learn any of the theory, definitely. You want to be making sure that you've got a professional watching your dog to make sure everything's being done correctly. So obviously all of these options are things that we currently offer as well. Um, so for our prices and options on our one-to-one stuff, um, you can check out www.caninefitnessfanatics.com. We've got our prices up on there for one-to-ones um, and for our courses and things as well. Um, the Canine Fitness app. So our courses do contain quite a bit of theory because I think obviously it's really important that people know the theory. Um, so you can check out our courses on there as well. And professional-wise courses, we are soon to be releasing the Canine PT course. So that starts in August and pre-orders for that course are going to be available very, very soon. I will add here as well, don't panic about equipment. Like if you want to get started, don't panic about going out and buy, like needing to buy loads of equipment. You really don't need to. Um, again, you can listen to my podcast episode on groundwork. Um, but if you really want to get something, if you do want to get something as a beginner, because I've had that question a lot again recently, um, I would recommend a solid platform first. So just something solid and then some targets or a Sensi mat as actually you can do an awful lot with just those pieces of equipment alone without spending a fortune on lots of pieces of equipment. If you want balance equipment, I would recommend that you contact the seller. Um, obviously, like we sell some fitness equipment. So if you want to, you can contact me um, and actually tell, like basically explain to me the level that you're at. And if you want advice on then what piece of equipment to go for, I can give you that advice on what piece of equipment I think would be suitable for you. So that's some of the options that you can do if you want to get started in conditioning. I have got a couple of spaces for one-to-one -one clients available at the moment. Just a couple to take on some new one-to-one -one clients if anyone is interested. Um, and I mean, I'm planning potentially, well, I say potentially, I am, not, poten not potentially, but I am going to be at some point in the future doing some um, workshops in Oxfordshire and Derbyshire. I know those two for definite. Um, and obviously, if anybody wants to book me in, like you can speak to your training club or if you are a training club, you can contact me directly to set up a workshop day with me. Absolutely. If that's something that you're interested in as well. So you've got quite a few different options, actually, to get started in conditioning for sure. I hope that's helpful. That's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, Charlie, you've done um, some of our bits and bobs, haven't you now? Yeah, so I started out with one-to-one -one sessions and got the app for a bit and then done a few group sessions on the um, Facebook group as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's another thing. If you subscribe to our app, you get into our private Facebook group and we do evening group sessions um, in there as well. So that's another thing that you can kind of come and get involved in. You don't have to pay any extra for those group sessions if you're subscribed on the app either is another thing to note there. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me again today, Charlie. Thanks for having me again. No problem. Always a pleasure. Um, as always, guys, if you've got any more questions that you would like answered, please do... Um, drop me an email, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook. All the links for those details to contact us will be in the description below. Charlie, have you got anything you want to add before we sign off? Um, I guess for people to stay stay committed to conditioning their dogs. Yeah. <laughs> message. Yeah, absolutely. Stay conditioned, guys, 100%. Um, 
Okay, that's awesome. We're all done for today. Lovely to speak to you all and I'll speak to everybody soon. Bye guys. I want to say a massive thank you to all our wonderful audience for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Canine Fitness Fanatics podcast. Our mission is to help condition dogs to reduce the risk of injury and increase longevity, whether that's in sporting dogs, working dogs or pet dogs. All dogs can benefit from a little extra fitness. So if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share and leave a review to help us reach more people and help dogs around the world. Remember fitness fanatics, form is everything. Mm -hmm.